No, I was just going to say, just touching on networking, really, and the fact that if you'd have told me as an 18-year-old that my job would essentially be networking, I would have been horrified because networking to me had this awful connotation of like warm white wine and making idle chit-chat with people. And I, I'm not very good in kind of an, a formal networking situation. I slightly panic, but actually it comes really naturally to me when I'm sort of in a one-on-one situation and I find that much more yeah, instinctive somehow. Um, yeah, I think we have to, <laughs> I try and try and encourage my team to go to networking and I just try and tell it to them it's, it's not really networking, it's just having a chat. I'm Marion Ellis and in today's episode I catch up with Philippa Bancroft, Senior Manager for Public Land at the Greater London Authority. Philippa works with public landowners in London to support them to release land for housing. She's also Vice Chair of the Lionheart Board and recently won the RICS Matrix Ambassador of the Year 2023. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Philippa. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. And you're just off the back of celebrating your uh, award-winning uh, RICS Matrix, was it Ambassador of the Year Award, was it? Yeah, um, so that was, what was it, two weeks ago now? Yeah, yeah, I've never seen such um, a shocked face. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was it was such a lovely evening and it was we had such a good time because I went with Grace and Sosam who were also nominated in the category and we were like, well, this is great because there's three of us, so at least two of us won't win. Um, so it'd be kind of a nice thing together. We didn't think any of us would win, and honestly, it was it was an absolute shock because it it there were so many people in the category as well. So no, I, I feel very honoured, very honoured. So yeah, it was great. Really, fun. we'll find we'll find out a bit more about that um, uh, as we go through. But can you uh, just introduce yourself as the kind of work? What kind of what flavour of surveyor are you, Philippa? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. It's a good. Question. So I'm a planning and development surveyor, and I qualify in 2016 uh, and work for the Great London Authority and I'm senior manager for public land so that means that I work with lots of different types of public sector organisations to help them release land for housing so release is a very sort of open word and it means lots of different things in terms of how you might take land that's, that was used as part of a um, perhaps a department's purpose but is now subject to sub- surplus to their requirements and so they want to just in a way that supports wider social so potentially that's around affordable housing obviously something really critical in London the mayor's really committed to and so I try and bring different organizations together help them think about how they can collaborate and also just kind of champion the fact that we're trying to always think about how we can do more with the public estate and kind of you know deliver that housing that's needed in London. I've got this image of you just sort of ferreting around trying to find bits and scraps of land and say what can we do with this I also sometimes feel like a vacuum because I, I people shout into one side of me about how unreasonable somebody else is being and then I have to go and see the other side and say and how do you think this project is going and they shout at me as to how uh, you know how the other side of being incredibly unreasonable I have to sort of moderate those messages between the two and uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It is really interesting work. And, you know, my background is in development. So I've worked for um, a few government organisations, so English partnerships back day, and sort of learned lots about development in different parts of London and uh, in the Northwest. And I'm using those skills now to kind of inform how I approach projects and how I encourage people to collaborate. 
So how did you get into that at the start? <laughs> it's, re- it's really funny. It was literally an A4 poster on the geography uh, notice board at university for the National Regeneration Agency. We're starting a graduate programme. And uh, I read it and I was, I was like, oh, do you know what? That sounds really interesting, like working in regeneration. And the idea was you rotated around a number of different of the offices, the national organisation. And, um, and you kind of, I started back in 2005 with a cohort of 12 of us. And it was, it, it felt like we were so lucky because we were the first year. And so we kind of got to just poke our noses and stuff and find out about things. And we made incredibly strong networks in a way that it wasn't until I started working in an office permanently that I realised that people, the offices didn't speak to, they didn't have a reason to speak to each other. It wasn't kind of animosity or anything. It just literally was. Everybody was working in their geographical area. And I would say, oh, but, you know, so-and-so in, um, I don't know, Warrington is working on this. You might want to talk to them because they've already done something like this. And that was really when I started to realise that it's so important to maintain those connections and networking. And I see that now. I don't really, I don't think I really realised how much networking helps in this sort of sector because I think so it's kind of like you know what you know not who you know I was very resistant to the kind of who you know thing but actually it's not that it's not who you know in a kind of advancement way it's who you know and whose wisdom can you use whose knowledge can you tap into whose experiences that that you can benefit from basically um, and how can that help you that is so um uh insightful and and it, that resonates as well so my first sort of proper built environment job I worked for a, a contractor Lang and I was on a graduate scheme and did the same mm. sort of move moved around and there were pros and cons to that um, but when you then land in a proper job uh, and in a in an office you then you know you talk about you know sort of different people it's like oh who does she think who does she think she is yeah. <laughs> who do they know no them you just think and, and it's ever such a they're hard to get on these graduate jobs and there's, you know, uh, they're not always well paid and all of those things, but it's such a privilege to be able to sort of zoom out and zoom in and to see an organization yeah. uh, as a whole. And, and I, I saw that again when I moved from a, as a job in surveyor in Croydon to a head office role, you know, mm. again, that sort of all mm. the different, different layers. And you, you just think if only people could just talk to each other across it, yeah. it reminds me a bit of um, a bit random, but you know, like the the railway links. You can get a train up and down, but if you want to go across yeah. anywhere in the UK, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, and that that's fundamentally what my job is. It's kind of making things. Somebody described it the other day as like oiling things and reducing friction and kind of helping flows work better. And yeah, and I love it. It's just it, because I'm continually learning, and I think the fact that I get to work with all these people on their really interesting projects and they're doing good stuff and I get to have a look in and see what's going on and then and hopefully help and I think I mean I, I always say this if I'm doing my job well you can't see me doing it because actually problems don't arise and we're sort of doing things better just because that's the way it's going but I do I am very conscious that I'm constantly asking people to do things slightly differently to business as usual and that's quite challenging um, and you know obviously it's about finding how there are compromises maybe but I'm what I try I try not to sell it as a comp I try and sell it more as a win-win um you know what can we do that would make this project better for everybody and and so how can we make that that work more so yeah I think it's just it's being able to talk to people as well and just learning from people it's just awesome there, there's so much knowledge out there and so many people are so willing to share it as well that's the wonderful thing 
is that people love to and, and and you know built environment i'm sure it's the same in other sectors but they just love talking about their jobs and the projects they're working on so that's that's really in me as well so, so literally anybody who will listen about this <laughs> <laughs> this thing that I'm seeing today, yeah, this thing that yeah. I've done, <laughs> to somebody who gets it for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Are there um are there many of you of your type of surveyors? I can put it put it that way. Of P and D surveyors, hmm. or I don't. Do you know actually? Well, I don't. For both. No. So I think my my role is relatively unusual in the sense that I sit because I guess because London is a strategic is a strategic area, so. There, there are programmes like One Public Estate, which is a combination of the Local Government Association and Cabinet Office. And they do a lot around helping public sector organisations work together to look at their estate. But I I don't know, actually. Um, well, maybe there's somebody out there listening who will say, hey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm doing somewhere else. But isn't that just the whole the whole thing about surveying and the how diverse it is mm. and how we do all very different things mm. yeah and then it, it sometimes feels like it's not surveying but then I'm so embedded in the built environment so a lot of the skills I use are they're actually like mediation skills in trust and enabling people to be honest about what's wrong going on with their project and actually that's quite a big thing in itself because you know I'm there trying to fix things but if people don't tell me what needs fixing I can't help so I need to be able to create a space for them where they feel comfortable that they can be honest about what's going wrong. And, and you know, that's easy if it's somebody else and you can complain about X organisation over there who are being incredibly unhelpful or whatever. But sometimes it's like we just need to kind of unpick this a bit. And that's that's where I think a lot of my kind of chatting comes in, trying to put people at their ease, you know, just kind of having a bit of a chit chat so that it feels like it's not uh, an interrogation. It's more just a kind of, ah, so how's it going? And actually, I did a, a mediation course not that long ago. So I was, um, I'm working as a facilitator, I do a called facilitated conversations. So instead of, sort of grievances, we try and do resolution. Um, and so I did some media training. It's so interesting because it taught me so much about like the power of the open question and leaving people space to just talk. And then the active listening, and it, you know, we talk about active listening all the time. But actually, to sit and just hear somebody and what's going on for them can be so valuable in terms of really getting to the root of where the problem is. Because it it might be called one thing, but actually, when you talk about it, it turns out it's something completely different. And you never have got to that through an email because if you just said what's wrong, they'd have listed the top three things and gone, that's it. But actually, if you talk to them and just kind of enable them to open up, then you actually get to what is it really that's that's holding things up. Again, that resonates a lot with me in terms of, I mean, it should resonate with me in terms of the podcast, <laughs> but I'm too busy talking over people and interested most, most of the time. Uh, but in terms of uh, when I deal with complaints and claims, because what they tell mm. you the problem is on an email or, you know, when a, a building's been re-inspected or you get the lawyer's report back or whatever, but when you actually look at well, what is the root cause of this mm. problem or, or whatever's happened, it's because somebody didn't feel supported. Yeah, you know, they were worried and their 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 niggles weren't ironed out, and then it then it snowballs and you know becomes a, a series of mm. unfortunate events. So I was going to say it's a bit like that with Lionheart. It's really funny because we talk about what people present as the problem and then what services they actually access. 
and that can be so different because they ring us to say this is the problem that I have but the the counseling stuff their sort of support services staff then speak to them and they just incredibly carefully and sensitively enable people to to be open and honest and I think that's you know where they bring such value is that people go okay I can I can admit this being wrong so I'll call up and talk about that and then over time you know building that trust and enabling people to be open about where the problem really lies so important so let me ask you about Lionheart on Mm. what your involvement is um so I'm vice chair of the board which is not at all where I expected to be honestly I saw the advert uh, back in 2020 for new trustees and I thought you know what sounds really interesting I do a lot of things because I think they sound interesting you'll find that about me but uh, I've been a school governor for a while uh, because and it was a slightly cynical move because I was like I need to know what governance looks like and school governing is incredibly easy to get into because you basically, and this is what happened, I literally, I sent them an email and about 10 o'clock in the morning and by two o'clock, a school had rung me and said, would you like to be our governor? Because they're so desperate for governors. And I was like, oh, brilliant. This will be so useful in terms of just understanding how governance works because it's not something that I was doing my day job. I didn't have, you know, I was relatively junior. I didn't have insight into that. So I had some really good governance experience to then be able to talk about it in my um, interview for Lionheart. And I joined, um, there's a cohort of four of us that joined at the same time back in May 2020. And I mean, it was an odd place to start because obviously it was all online. Middle of a pandemic. Um, it was yeah, really yeah. difficult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we were also facing the fact that we didn't quite know where surveyors were going to be in the pandemic in terms of what were the problems that were going to be facing them. And initially we thought, you know, lots of people would get laid off and there'd be this kind of massive call on grants but then actually a lot of what then happened was people were kind of looking for more support services because actually they were incredibly overworked and stressed and you know all the the things they're having to do in their job were creating problems for them in in different ways than we'd anticipated so it was a real period of kind of just holding on and and keeping it steady um and it was such a great learning experience and then yeah, this this summer, um, I stepped up to be vice chair. I'm working really closely with Peter McRae, who's incredibly insightful, such a great person to learn from. In terms I've asked of, him you know, so his... many times with the podcast. <laughs> I'll have to ask him again. <laughs> but yeah, so it's been, and it, and I think it does. It just it it builds my understanding of some of the things I work then on my day job as well so some of that strategic thinking that people who I'm talking to at senior levels are having to think about in their own organizations I've got more of an insight to because I'm seeing it um, in Lionheart and getting that real kind of cold face experience I guess Um, but it's it's an amazing organization to work with Um, I'm just so proud to be on their board because they do such great work um, and help people in so many different ways and I think that's the thing is that um, People think, oh, well, I don't need Lionheart's help because I don't need a financial grant. Um, but actually, that's not what they're about, really. They are, they have that, and that's not, you know, an opportunity. But it's so much more than that. And they're doing so much more around resilience so that it doesn't get to crisis before people, you know, call them. And and I think it's just, it's something that I wish people remembered. I think lots of people are starting to know about it, but it's like remembering it when the time is relevant for you, which is why I bang on about it all the time, because honestly, it, you know, it, it it might just be one day somebody sees a post and goes, oh, 
that actually is what I need to do. Um, but they won't remember it from a fortnight ago, a month ago, whatever. So, yeah, it's constant to keep it just up in people's minds. And and Lionheart is, um, I mean, you know, I've, uh, I've interviewed Davina and I know uh, in the past mm-hmm. and um, we could link to that in the uh, in the show notes. And I know um, that she's leaving and there's a you're looking at uh, getting a new mm. CEO in. And, and the thing I would I would say about Lionheart is the what if there's one thing that you could take away from this podcast is just get on their mailing list. Yeah. You know, you can delete the emails that come through. You can unsubscribe so you only get certain ones. But just get on their mailing list, have a look through the their website. Because even if you don't use them, the mm. the the power and that ripple effect of just knowing that there is something out there that can support yeah. you is huge. Even if you never yeah. use it, you could recommend it to somebody else or you could just go up and have a look at something. But just knowing that there is some kind of support or safety blanket mm. in some way is hugely powerful. Um, and there's a couple of things that I would uh, recommend people um, have a look at. Uh, one is a webinar library um, where they've yeah. got um, a really good um, stack of webinars on all sorts of different things. And most of it counts as uh, some, some kind of CPD, mm. some I think even formal CPD, I'm not sure, but you can you can have a look and and, and record that as CPD. Um, and also there's a new initiative that they've partnered up with something called Nudge which is to do with sort of financial education. Mm. And I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes. But I I got I sort of got sent this and thought, oh God, it's all about money. <laughs> you know, I just thought that's <laughs> thing I really want to, you know, look at look at yeah. doing. But I I registered I registered on it and I and I had a look and it was interesting because it wasn't, you know, this is how you do your budget, Marion, or this mm. is how you do your whatever. It was like a series of really interesting articles. And so I now feel supported that if I need to go somewhere, you know, um, you know, with a cost of living crisis and we've got winter coming yeah. and, you know, all of the different things, that there's somewhere to go where you can get that kind of sort of financial education. So I've got a bit more digging around to to do on that. But I'd really recommend anyone listening just to register for these things. They're reg- you're registering for all sorts of other stuff, you know, so yeah. get yeah. on there and, and have a and have a look. But I thought that was a really interesting uh, initiative going down the financial management yeah. route. And I think also if people um, follow them on the socials, so definitely LinkedIn, for example, if you're following them on LinkedIn and then you like them, then maybe somebody in your network will see it as well because, yeah. you know, that the magic of LinkedIn. So that also feels like a really good way to kind of just remind people that they're there. You don't have to like everything, although Hayley would tell me that they absolutely do have to like everything. But it's just about, you know, just reminding people at the right time that um, Lion High is definitely there for them. And it's one of our, you know, your member benefits. You, you're entitled to uh, help. Well, yeah, it, it's, in, it's interesting, you know, over the past couple of years, how to see how Lionheart has has changed. And I'm seeing a lot more alignment with RICS now in terms of some of the things that they offer or um, even posting on social media. And and that that makes a, a, a big difference because it is a it is a benefit for RSS mm. members and their families and yeah. I don't think people realize that even if you are a member for a short period of time you will always have access to their support in some way yeah. shape or form you know so even if life throws yeah. all sorts of things at, uh, at you and also then you know um if you die <laughs> for example you know there's, there's sort of support for families you know because it's not just individual members it's members and their families yeah. isn't there yeah, so no, I told my husband. Everybody know. 
I said, oh. <laughs> if I go onto the bus, then, uh, you know, these guys will thought you out. <laughs> well, as, well, as I always say um, to people, my husband has no idea what I do anymore. So maybe I should write, <laughs> write these things down <laughs> so he doesn't, doesn't get, a, get a shock. It's interesting you're talking about the, the pandemic and, um, you know, what you've learned about, about surveyors and, and the support that they, they need or needed through that. Because you're right, many of them had to go out and work because they couldn't mm. afford not to. And also because those doing mortgage valuations were under the whatever rules it was for just keeping the country going. Mm. But it was quite a scary thing for people to walk into someone's home. You know, we had in the hub, we had discussions and we did a few sort of early podcasts. I remember doing one with um, Phil Parnham. Um, and, you know, we were talking about well, what do you do? Do you put like a full, you know, <laughs> suit you know, yeah. you know, breathing apparatus and all that kind of thing to go into someone's home to do a mortgage valuation and, and those things. And incredibly stressful to be in that that kind of, yeah. kind of environment. Yeah, and particularly for people, I guess, who were, you know, SMEs as well. So, you know, not, not having that kind of support network or potentially just feeling very isolated yeah, in mm. that period. Yeah, no, it was really challenging. I think it, what it actually, one of the things about being on the Line Hub board is that I come into contact with a whole range of surveyors who I otherwise wouldn't um, be in touch with. So a lot of the people I work with are the independent surveyors. That's kind of ground to the, the people in um, in the organisation. But actually, being on the board, I meet so many more people and, and find out so much more uh, interesting information about what their jobs are and how they fit into kind of the, the world of surveying. And it, it's a really great part of the the board is that it's expanding my kind of horizons and and understanding about you know how it all fits together. Because I don't think I'd have had that insight through any other channels during the pandemic uh, because I'm just so far removed from what feels like proper surveying. You know, it was it was difficult. I mean, I was I was working on projects that were you know looking at how we house homeless people in London um, during the pandemic. So a very different issues but still very much based in kind of surveying world um and housing and things like that but um yeah it was it was a difficult time for lots of people obviously but it, but how it's on people we couldn't predict at the beginning where the the pain was going to be in terms of the, the support that people would need uh, when we mm. talked before you've mentioned um is it aces yes well tell, tell yeah. me about that so that's the oh let me get my teeth in straight the association of chief estate surveyors and property managers i want to say i think it's managers at the end um and so that's like a public sector alliance of people who work in of um tin really um estates and property management and so enabling that network to be built as well because i think yeah, well certainly for me i felt like when i was sometimes a bit removed from real surveying um, but very conscious, as you said, that, you know, the people doing similar jobs in different organisations. So networks like that are so key for people to learn about, you know, good practice. And I think, I mean, my job at the moment is uh, a part of it is to look at how the group were there. So that's um, the Greater London Authority, Places for London, which is the sort of um, property part of Transport for London, the Old Oak Park Rural Development Corporation, London Legacy Development Corporation, the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime and the London Fire Brigade. So they all form part of the GLA group. And so we're looking at how we can collaborate better around our estate um, and thinking about how we don't duplicate 
resource it or you know we create, create more efficiencies um, but also how we share knowledge and how we don't try and all fight the same problem in slightly different ways let's let's try and sort of come together and share the knowledge that we have and and do it better um, but again as I say it's it's all about nudging people away from business as usual and that is painful it can be painful if you try and do it too quickly and also you know that there are reasons people do business usual business usual because it works right and that's why it's kind of the set way so to introduce change um can be difficult particularly if you don't have a like a really clear rationale i guess for and i think we do um in the work that we're doing at the moment but you know when when people aren't clear on why you would do it differently that that can be really problematic and i think that's something that will resonate with with a lot of surveyors who who work in different sectors you know and if, if you're making a stand for being a surveyor you know, and th- this is something that's important or it's a safety or it's a, you know, a, a, mm. or whatever it is, you're often out on a limb on your own, mm. not necessarily supported, you know, and so it's having that 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 confidence to be able to do that. And as a resi survey with all my community, you know, there's always somebody that will agree with me mm. or disagree with me and point me in the right direction. Uh, so it, it comes back to that building that network of support that you have and in whatever way, that that looks like it's not just necessarily about people sometimes it's about resources listening to podcasts you know group facebook groups if that's your thing you know so there's there's a real there's sort of a networking almost like on on different levels of, of, of support but then i don't know it's like i often feel like i'm the odd one out you know in the kind of work that i do and i know i'm not mm. but you know um i think sometimes and you know going back to this sort of surveyors being diverse it's sort of part of it part of the 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 job description comes with you are a bit odd and a bit different (laughs) and that's okay (laughs) or maybe that's just me (laughs) I don't know um but it's sort of part of it but using that as your your strength yeah you know to say well yes I do a slightly different job to you but this is what I bring to it and this Mm. is how I can help you know and and not seeing as the 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 person who throws a spanner in the works or yeah I try not to be that person things. I do yeah, try not to be yeah, that person doesn't... I try and I try and sell it more positively than sticking my spanner in yeah yeah see this is why you're good at that job and I wouldn't be <laughs> I would just march in and say you don't want to get out of that <laughs> um, but it's funny isn't imagine... it because sorry no no go on go on, go on. no I was just going to say just touching on networking really and the fact that if you'd have told me of and a 18-year-old that my job would essentially be networking, I would have been horrified because networking to me had this awful connotation of like warm white wine and making idle chit-chat with people. And I, I'm not very good in kind of an, a formal networking situation. I slightly panic, but actually it comes really naturally to me when I'm sort of in a one-on-one situation and I find that much more yeah, instinctive somehow. Um, yeah. I think we. Have to, I try and try and encourage my team to go to networking. I try and tell it to them. It's it's not really networking. It's just having a chat, um, and you know, just seeing if something comes out of it. But, but because I think it is important, and I think a lot of the work that I do with an organisation called Future of London, who are a sort of built environment um, a sort of think tank, and they do um, uh, leadership programmes. They the the value that they add is that they can connect people in the built environment, and that they enable people to just not as you say feel alone but 
to also create opportunities for people to see how they might progress in their career because sometimes and I think I feel particularly sometimes in development we are slightly the odd part of our organization because we're not we're not developing policies or programs which have very transferable skills within different subjects we are more more certainly facing as a sort of an element of our job which feels like it it's not quite as aligned so be, to be able to see that there's you know other places you can go um, is is reassuring. We met at one of our women in surveying co-working days. Mm. Now I think we'd first got to know you sort of through LinkedIn because you send some mm. share some really useful content, and I'd recommend people follow you on LinkedIn. But also <laughs> just a, a wide variety of life surveyor stuff, you know, and and I, yeah. I like I like things like that. Um, and so it was really lovely to meet you. I mean, you there, but but it was funny because so we run these women in Spain co-working days. They're the most informal thing ever. Where basically wherever I'm going, you can, if you want to come and sit next to me and work, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing nothing more more than that. And it's it's quite intimidating, you know, going to a, an event or networking as you as you say. And uh, I remember so this this one was in London, wasn't it? And I walked into yeah. the the business center meeting room, whatever they call it there. And you were sat there next to another lady, Emma, uh, and I said, "Hi, you know." And you had you sat there, two women on a networking date, had introduced <laughs> introduced <Yeah>. yourselves, <laughs> and it was like, "Right, let's go and get a coffee," you know. And yeah, and then we were joined by a a couple of other other people. But I know you're quite passionate about about sort of diversity and, uh, mm. and women in Spain. Yeah, definitely, and I I think that that comes partly as well from the fact that it it just seems obvious to me that you would get a better outcome if you asked more people what they want and that you know and I think also it comes from a place where and I think we discussed this didn't we on the day that we've all got slightly more bolshy because we've had children and gone do you know what I accept this for my child this is not accept- this is not good enough I want the world to be better than this in a way that I didn't feel strong enough to advocate for myself but actually now I'm like yeah I was on a, on a call with a colleague earlier and she went, do you know what, it might just be my age, but I'm just going to say what I think these days. And, and it's true. It's, I think the more, the more people we can enable to say what they think, then the better it's got to be for everybody because some of the changes that you can make, so, you know, and, and it's as simple as, you know, it's a really cliched example, but putting a ramp in will help so many people and not inconvenience anybody. And, and that is a really cliched and very straightforward example. But it, it's the kind of thing where you just think, actually, a small tweak here could just make it easier for a whole people. And, and other people wouldn't even notice it's changed. So let's find out what those tweaks are and let's make them. And, and actually, we'll all find that it just works better for everybody. So, yeah. So a Future of London, who I mentioned, actually, they run a program called the Emerging Talent Program. And it's specifically aimed at um, people, young people from black asian minority ethnic backgrounds who want to get into the built environment sector and they do a couple of placements with public sector and private sector organizations just to introduce them to you know what the opportunities might be and help them build their networks so that when they then come to look for permanent posts they've got people they call on and that also you know can support them and advocate for them and i think that's so critical because you know there's a piece around um, people coming into the sector from traditional 
sources, shall I say. And actually, we want to we want to reach people because we all use buildings, right? So we all should have a say in in how it works and you know all the different people thinking about it. So if we, we can divide the sector, honestly maybe it would be better for everybody. And I don't I don't I can't see that there's there's losers by doing that. I think it's got to be up, optimal um to do that. So yeah, so I think I do think it's it's really important that we expand it because there's no there's no reason not to. Um that let's just make it better for everybody. And, then, and and I might agree with you, but you then think, oh, why is it so hard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Why? And and I don't know. And, and just going back to what you were saying um, about, you know, getting to a certain age and thinking, I am not putting up with this, you know, or I am mm-hmm. going to speak my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was just, as you were saying that, I was just reflecting, at what point did I, did I become that person? Mm. You know, I, I know in some ways I've always been, a little bit like that um uh, at times but but not certainly not not always and it doesn't come but it doesn't come from a well i feel confident enough to say no that's the wrong thing it, it feels more of a when something is in unjust or mm. you know that you can see you know particularly you know let me say i mean i've got two children boy and a girl and it was the girl that was just like hang on a minute that ain't <laughs> that ain't gonna happen and and then it's been just but again just while you're talking all these things went through my head you know of well actually our, our parents you know did my parents or my mum sort of speak out as as much and I guess it's just culture and that cultural change yeah you know through generations we've become become braver you know and authentic and, as well and I think yeah, it's something yeah. about this is this is how I feel and I now feel confident enough and I think to a degree it's confidence I don't think I would say necessarily uh it's changed hugely but i think it's just the fact that i have confidence in myself to say i believe this is wrong and i believe i either have the power to do something about it and therefore i should use that power or i have the ability to find somebody who does have the power to do something about it and i should bring it to their attention and i feel i definitely feel more able to advocate on behalf of other people i'm sure lots of people feel that that you know you can you can much more easily stand up for somebody else than you can stand up for yourself and maybe that's because as girls we're to be nice and compliant and you know helpful but it's definitely something around yeah I think it, I think it's just getting to an age where you're like do you know what I don't want the people coming behind me to face these issues I want to sort them out so that it's just easier for them and it's something you know we see in the staff networks at, at work as well I joined the parents and carers network um, when I came back because I realized what a terrible colleague I'd been to people who had children before I had children because I jumped that they were doing an entirely different full-time job on top of, you know, coming into work. And so I wanted to change that and I wanted to you know have an impact on the people coming after me to make it different. And one of the things actually this week has been super exciting is that I had IVF to have for my daughter um, and when I uh, went on our intranet, when I sort of found out what the times were going to be, and I was like, right, okay, so I wonder what our fertility policy says. <laughs> ah. Of course, there was a fertility policy. So I emailed HR and was like, uh, so I'm about to have IVF, and um, it's going to be a lot of appointments and uh, a lot of unpredictability in the process because, um, you know, you kind of have the scans and whatnot, and then they tell you about 24 hours of notice, you've got to have the transfer, et cetera, et cetera. I said, you know, what do I do? And they said, well, talk to your line manager about it. 
And I was like, well, that's fine for me because my language was great and we got on really well. But is that a response for everybody? Like, you've got to bring up the fact that you are about to try to have children uh, to your line manager, which, by the way, nobody else has to do. <laughs> like, they can, they can just crack yeah. on. And, uh, and, and you have to negotiate it. So this week, we have a, uh, a draft fertility policy that's been drawn up by our HR team. And it, and it, it's not only it's not just me that's done it. I, the, you know, there's lots of people in the organisation who think it's a good thing. But it's just an example where I want to know that somebody who goes on the internet to Google fertility policy will find something in future and they'll be reassured that they work for an organization that knows that this might be something that they have to face and that they will be supported in that because it's a I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying it it's quite hard work to have IVF or any other sort of fertility treatment it's, it, it's a horrible it's a horrible <laughs> um thing to go I mean yeah. I, I haven't myself but you know a couple of my best friends haven't it's a horrible you know an amazing thing but horrible thing to yeah. uh, to go through emotionally physically mm-hmm. um and then to you know have to speak to your line manager about it and mm-hmm. it's the same as um you know talking about menopause yeah you know also talking about you know other personal things and it's not just women it's men men too you know yeah. the, the trials they have but having to speak to your 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 line manager about those things and in fairness most line managers have no idea how to handle well, I didn't have any idea. Some of these things no no I mean no. you know I was sort of saying I don't I don't really know what I can tell you because I don't really know what's about to happen because you know in the best one in the world they they tell you what might happen but they the doctors can't tell you what's going to happen because they don't know how you're going to respond to various stages of the treatment you know they, it's just all so and honestly as a project manager Marion it was a nightmare because I could not <laughs> you can't plan control anything <laughs> just like could take these all these different outcomes that could happen. So I don't know if it was yeah, it was it was it was stressful. It was really stressful. I found it really hard work. It, I was obviously incredibly lucky that it worked on the first time. And um, I mean, it was I was they actually described it on tra- embryo transfer day as a textbook, and I was like, oh, that's great. They were like, this is what we see in the textbook. We hardly ever see that. I was like, I was so proud for no good reason except for the fact that I'd spent so many months, you know, sticking needles in myself and the at work and all those sort of things and and I was like great I've achieved something now let's all just keep our fingers crossed because you just feel constantly like you can't you can't relax until you get to the end uh because it's just nothing's nothing and you know that's the same with pregnancy isn't it it's just one long process of just waiting and hoping well firstly well done you for for moving that that policy through um, I know. I, I mean, that, I can't take credit for. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but even the the parts that you that you've contributed to, and and I think I remember seeing you posting something about fertility a couple of years ago, um, on LinkedIn, and uh, I've been contacted by a few women in the past, mm. sort of women in surveying, you know, how do you handle, and obviously refer to Lineheart or or whatever. You no, know, mm. I'm not an expert on any of these things, but it just goes to show there's a need for for people mm. to um uh, to reach out. While you're going through all of that, you've got a job to do too, mm-hmm. you know, and we all have um, mm-hmm. stuff going on in our, our lives and we make quite big and important decisions in terms of buildings, physical safety, the amount of money and budget. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you manage that or, um, or what made the difference to that? So I was very honest with my team and I was very fortunate, I think, to work in a team who I felt comfortable to say look guys I'm going to go through it's going to make me 
anxious. I am quite anxious generally, and it it definitely made me more anxious. And also, honestly, the um, one of the sets of drugs I can't remember what it was. I've forgotten all the names. It just made me really angry. And mm-hmm. they did warn me. They warned you. They said like this will this will make you cross. And I was like. I mean, what does that even look like? Oh, I mean, it it was unreal. I didn't I didn't feel like myself at all. And I and somebody asked me how I was. And I was like, I'm getting angry at the moment. And they're like, Oh, are you okay? I was like, No, it's like entirely drug induced, which doesn't make it sound any better. <laughs> but um, and and it was just being honest. And I am I am quite honest about everything. Mm. Um, and I'm I'm so lucky to work in a place where that is acceptable. But uh, yeah, I think it was just being open with people and saying, Look, this is it's not going well or it's making me feel rough so I'm gonna walk home today you know it was just I don't think there was one thing that I could point to that said made it easier it was just knowing that the team were all aware and so and I, I do feel for people who don't feel that they can share that with their employer and they were trying to do it you know behind closed doors and I understand why there's loads of reasons you might choose not to share it but it must make it so much harder so much harder in terms of the the way you're bearing and and the, th- and the thing is in terms of sharing these things with you know so it, it's important to share these things with your line manager in the best way that you can because they're there to support you they've got a, a mm. you know legal responsibility if anything to to support you and, and sharing things with your colleagues not everybody wants to share your private life you mm. know and, and and all of those things and and being on the other side of it you know, when you hear that somebody is struggling with or has an ailment or, you know, whatever it is, we don't need to fix it either, you mm. know, um, mm. and, um, you know, we don't need to, sometimes we don't have the words to know mm. what to say, but we don't have to either, mm. you know, it can yeah. just be giving someone a bit of space, you know, making them a cup of tea, <laughs> um, you know, uh, just little things really, just to know that that you're there in a supportive yeah. way if, if need be you don't have to yeah. don't have to fix it don't have to give advice you know it's um oh yes don't don't give advice never use the words at least um at in any yeah. context like that at least it's not at least it's not at least you can or that oh it's just it's not and you know similarly actually when um my dad died the people that used words at least and I was like no there's no there's no good side to this sorry uh, like I might be able to talk about that in, in a little while, but for the time being, it's not a that I want to hear. Um, it's just not just just say you're sorry. That's fine. That's it's that difference between a uh, sympathy and empathy. Mm. There's a great little uh, video with uh, by Brene Brown. Um, oh yeah, I'll put a put a link to it in the, in yeah. the show notes where they she sort of explains the the differences that what is it now? So like, uh, oh, I can't even remember. <laughs> remember it now have a, have a look but it's a, it's a difference between sort of saying you know um the, yeah like the the at least it's not or here's some ideas mm. or but it's just saying mm. i'm just sorry that's happened yeah i'm just sorry yeah you know and and, yeah. and not having to problem solve or fix or mm. or going to yeah own, which is tricky you know. for people in our world like where because that's what we are that's right what, that's what we do that's what we do <laughs> We fix things, we plan things, we organise things, and now you're we telling me to just better. be yeah. there. <laughs> so we, uh, I saw you, you know, saying at the start of the conversation at the uh, Matrix Awards, 
Mm. Um, tell me about your your entry, because I one of the things you don't always see uh, in these awards, and I, I used to be a judge on on the mm. when they were called Young Survivor of the Year awards, and I've judged on all sorts of different things in the in the past, and it's great. Oh God, it's such a career high actually to look at some of these things and and to get an insight into you know people's careers what makes them tick the things that they're proud of and you can see through straight away when it's a marketing mm. one or been written by someone you know it's it, it's not authentic and I'm always looking for that stuff that the real tangible stuff that that just sort of makes it real and and it's such a privilege to be able to to see uh, to see them but you you don't always get being you know sitting in the crowd cheering any, everyone on you don't always get to see behind some of that but tell me a bit about about the experience of it and and putting your entry together because it's not it's not an easy thing to do is it no no it's not and I I swithered about it for ages whether to do it or not because it it doesn't come naturally to kind of say oh look how great I am look at all the stuff I'm doing but I thought do you know what I'm a running towards the end of the period where I would be eligible. So I should give it a shot before that time runs out. But also this time last year, I wasn't, I wasn't very well in a mental health perspective. And um, I wanted to kind of just give myself the opportunity to reflect on the progress I've made. So I think we had to write the applications in maybe May, June this year. And I was feeling sort of sufficiently better, and I was talking about it with my um, counsellor. So I'm, I'm thinking I might, I might enter because I think it might be like quite a good exercise in reflecting on, you know, what I have done and how I have made an impact. And she was like, "Okay, well, don't make it all about achievement. Just make it about what, what you, how you feel you're making a difference." And I think that was a really, really interesting sort of way of looking at it. So I spoke to um, Peter McRae um, at Lionheart and I spoke to Davina at Lionheart and sort of asked them for, you know, did, did they think it was a good idea and would they read my application and and help me, um, you know, craft it? And actually, Peter suggested that, you know, Grace and Sosam apply as well. So I worked with them and the three of us sort of encouraged each other. And I think that was a lovely thing to do was actually to use it as an opportunity to just actually yeah do you know what we've all got things we can add here why don't we all go for it and then that will be just a, a great thing to try for um, and then we were all three shortlisted which was fantastic but I think it was it took some time to kind of sit down and think okay I've only got 300 words in four different areas or whatever it was um, how am I going to write things and I used to had a document open on my computer and I used to add things every day on my way into London just kind of jot things down and tinker with it so that I could sort of process it and kind of just I don't know make it into something that felt like me um, that I could own not not kind of going look here's this shiny big thing that I did but more kind of how how am I using the power that I have and I do recognize that I have a lot of power now to influence things and one of the things that I talked about in the application that I, I worked with some colleagues to develop a support network for people in the GLA group that I've talked about who are thinking about doing their APC because I'd done my APC off my own bat with almost no internal support. Um, I mean, they gave me some financial support, but um, there, was, there was no structure um, in terms of helping me get any placement experience or anything. 
And I was like, it just made it a bit harder. And so if we could join up people with these organisations, think about the APC, then they can perhaps come together as a cohort or share their opportunities for placements or, or whatever. And it felt like it was just encouraging people. And one of the explicit things that we put in the terms of reference was that we recognised that we want to encourage specifically people from underrepresented groups in our ICS membership to access this. And we want to make sure that they are feeling included and encouraged by anything that we do that we promotes promotes their career development as well. So I worked with, I sort of, I got buy-in from a few senior stakeholders and kind of took them to one side and said, we're thinking about doing this. What do you reckon? Could I have your support? Could I count on you? And that's a real privilege. Like I'm now of a, you know, of this a position within the organization where I can have those conversations with people mm. um, and say that, you know, I think, I think we should be doing this, don't you? And and it was it was great. And I I've actually stepped back and have done the the setup bits um and, and used my influence and things to leave it with people who now are much closer to that because I do feel increasingly that having done my APC in person in Heathrow, I am not. I don't, I don't have the same experience as people who've done it since online and they're much better placed to advise people and to to give that kind of experience. I mean, I'm still counselling people, obviously, um, and that's that's such a pleasure to yeah, meet yeah. people and there. It's just, it's great because you, you hear the same things and you just want to encourage people and go, you're good. Like, let me tell you, you're good. You're good enough. Isn't it, isn't it and, the best thing in the world to do, to do that? Yeah. And and most people just need that encouragement, that pat on the head, mm. you know, and in the nicest, you know, I don't mean that to sound patronising to people, but it's it's the nicest, kindest thing that you could do because so few of us really get that that encouragement in uh, in our careers. Mm-hmm. As you're, you're talking about that, uh, you know, about the application uh, process, that is very much what I talk to people about with their fellowship application. Mm. So whether you're doing any award matrix or fellowship it's starting off with not the academic achievements it's what impact am I, am I making and what am I what am I most proud of mm-hmm. and the things that you've talked about but just then mm-hmm. you are proud of what you've done and so it becomes easier yeah and then adding those little things and keeping a, a, a note and it's exactly those things that makes it sort of a, a believable you know mm-hmm. entry and a believable story if you like that you know, obviously, you know, you can evidence different different things, but that that it's that that magic sparkle that that mm. makes a difference, and and it's lovely that you you got together to do that because that's what mm. we're doing with the women in surveying and our MRICS FRICS um uh, group, which you should be checking out, Philippa, and um because uh, you've got it all, uh you know, and it's but it's doing it together and having that yeah. having that that support and it's not cheating or, or anything like that it's just you know bouncing ideas off each other and holding each other to accountability yeah um sometimes you know and but more than anything more than anything it's just that opportunity to reflect on your career the things that you've done the difference that you've made what you've enjoyed and then think well what am i going to do next exactly you know, and it, yeah. and and it's and 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 it's continuing that journey. You know, it's the same with your. You know, you got your ambassador award. Mm. What are you going to do with it? You know, you got your fellowship. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, is it yeah. just going to be be another thing to to add on to the, to the shelf? And 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 that's the bit I find uh, quite exciting. You know, is yeah. sort of when yeah. you're when you've earned this platform, 
what can you do with it next? And just as you said, you know, you've you've got to a position where you can now talk to people about, well, come on, why can't we set this up? You know, mm. why can't we do this? You know, it just it that's the thing that's really exciting, I think. Yeah. And I think I I always characterize myself as not very ambitious, but that said, I'm always looking at the next project. And I've I've done lots of different additional volunteering stuff because because I'm always just thinking about, you know, how how do I continue to learn and how do I just expand my horizons, basically? I mean, I, I got involved in and this is so off topic. We've got we've gone very far from surveying today, haven't we? But I got involved in a, a local arts organisation running an art exhibition every summer for two weeks. So I was doing like I was chair of the committee, um, but it, it was just so. I don't know. Uh, challenging. It was like it was like a really knotty problem that I wanted to kind of sink my teeth into, and also meet people who I would never ordinarily come into contact with. You know, honestly, the things I learned about art and artists in that period of time, I'd never have come across without doing that voluntary position. And I think that's true of of anything you do, which is not just your day job. You know, there's so much value to be added that often then actually does have a relevance somehow because it's all transferable skills. And that's the but kind that's of world it. That we work in. That that's exactly it, though, isn't it? You know, those transferable skills, those dealing with those knotty, difficult situations, are exactly what is now helping you in the role mm. that you've got now, and you know, and, and all of those things. And mm. you know, that's something that I would say to people: is if you're not getting the experience of life, you know, mm-hmm. that then volunteering, getting involved in different things, you know, it's uh, it's never a bad thing. You know, to go and push yourself and push your boundaries and we can give ourselves permission to do that. Philippa, it's been fabulous yeah. talking to you today. Thank you ever so much for finally no <laughs> <laughs> Thank you ever so much. Oh, it's been lovely. Thanks, Marion. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the podcast, do check out some of our past recordings. And when you're ready, leave a review on Google or Apple iTunes. Or you can buy me a coffee. All the links are in the show notes. And if you want to find out more about how working with me can support your surveying business journey, just drop me a message or take a look at the resources for surveyors and small businesses at lovesurveying.com. I'll see you next time.